Welcome to another episode in the Search for Racial Equity series, a global forum offering an in-depth study and dialogue of racial equity and justice. We amplify the most authentic and powerful voices of our time in the racial justice movement while using our global platform to create safe spaces for the most important and timely discussions. As the world continues to fight for racial justice, many of us wonder the same thing. How can we make a real, lasting difference? Meaningful change often begins with meaningful conversation. To contribute to that dialogue and our commitment to racial equity and inclusion, Google has launched a weekly series on our Talks at Google YouTube channel and here in podcast form that amplifies some of the most authentic and influential voices of our time and this global movement. The Search for Racial Equity series hosts authentic, open discussions that reckon with the structural and systemic racism Black people have experienced over generations. To find the video of this talk and all others from the series, please visit g.co slash talks at Google slash racial equity. Dr. Cornell West is an American philosopher, political activist, social critic, author, and one of the most influential intellectuals of our time. With a legacy of activism dating back to his childhood and decades of scholarship on race, class, and gender, Dr. Cornell West has a wealth of insight on challenging injustice and protecting the rights and freedoms of the most marginalized. As people all over the world continue to grapple with the legacy and consequences of racism, there is a sense of possibility that this current moment could be a unique opportunity to address persistent, deeply entrenched injustices. Whether or not that is the case, according to Dr. West, depends on every single one of us and how we choose to respond. In this episode of The Search for Racial Equity, Dr. West shares his wisdom on advancing justice and equality, as well as the importance of truth, love, and justice in the struggle for racial equity. Thank you for joining us in the search for racial equity. I'm Melanie Parker, Google's Chief Diversity Officer, and it is my great pleasure to be in conversation with Brother Cornell West. Dr. West, thank you so much for being here. I salute you. What a force for good you are. Google is so blessed to have you as leader. Indeed, <laughs> the leadership that you exemplify is, uh, is, is a beautiful thing. Thank you. I so appreciate it. I'm so excited about our conversation. You talk a lot about love, courage, and hope. And one of the things that's been very present in this racial reckoning that we're seeing across the world, and we've seen really in the racial equity series, is this theme around hope. And I wanted to know if we could start with, how do you see love, courage and hope as a part of the conversation that we're having today about race? Well, I think one <clears throat> is that I, I come from a people and a tradition who have always stood, understood hope as not simply a virtue, but a verb. Uh, Curtis Mayfield says, keep on pushing. You got to be in movement. You got to be in motion. You have to have momentum. You have to be part of a larger project that lures you to, to, to be the best that you can be. And so for me, there's three sources for this. One is the Socratic legacy of Athens, which is a very much about a love of wisdom tied to a questioning. You're lured in searching for a truth. And then there's the prophetic legacy of Jerusalem in which you're actually doing the truth by enacting a truth in the form of what our Jewish brothers and sisters call 
hesed in that great moment in Hebrew scripture, the spreading of steadfast love, of loving kindness to the orphan, the widow, the fatherless, the motherless, the, the subjugated, the oppressed. But then there's the blues legacy of black people in the United States. And that blues legacy is about catastrophe. Yes. unflinching engagement with catastrophe and never allowing despair to have the last word. So you're not in denial, but you're in motion, holding on to the questioning that we learned from Socrates, holding on to Amos, Esther, and Jesus and Muhammad that says to be human is to spread a love and a mercy and a justice. And then Black folk coming in. Why? Why? How do? How do black folk add to this? It's very important, I think, because you see, the fundamental question of so much of the West is why does Socrates never cry and Jesus never laughs? Now, Socrates has a deep love of wisdom, but he never sheds a tear. Anybody who's never shed a tear has never loved anybody. So you're gonna you, you're gonna you're gonna cry at your mama's funeral because you love her so. And, and the same is true in terms of Jesus. Jesus has a profound love, and yet we don't really catch him laughing too much. You see, whereas the blues has an element of the comic, an element of wit, an element of style, an element of smile, an element of the uh, of, of recognizing just how contradictory life is and the incongruities of the human condition. And when you get all three of these together, you got so much of the best of how you sustain hope on the right track. You are sustaining hope on what the Isley brothers call the caravan of love. The Freedom Highway that Abby Lincoln and Max Roach and Sonny Rollins were talking about. And I think that's what the world needs in these catastrophic times, in these grim moments. Oh, I love it. I mean, you paint it such visual imagery that I think is really important. And it reminds me of one of your quotes that I love that I would um, really love for you to expound on for our audience. And that's at Howard University about 10 years ago. I'm a Hampton grad. But you were oh, Howard. Hampton, <laughs> in the house. Absolutely. Hampton's in the house. But you said that justice is what love looks like in public just like tenderness is what love looks like in private. And when I think about that, there are some that say, hey, love is no better than the lover, that you can't love any more than your capacity. But how does, what does that look like in action uh, based on, you know, just the characterization of the lover? Mm, mm. Yeah, well, I appreciate you going back to that. In that second section, is I would say justice is what love looks like in public tenderness is what love feels like in private because it's very much about a feeling too you got the cognitive you got the mind the crucial cerebral activity but you also have to have a heart and a soul and um, you see i come from a people who are a soulful people at our best and soul is the sharing of a soothing sweetness against the backdrop of a grim catastrophe and so you, it's about a kindness. It's about being gentle. It's about empowering and enabling others by how you both make them think, think for themselves, lift every voice, that's the anthem of black folk, but also to get them feeling in the right way, feeling strong about themselves, confident about themselves, good about themselves, so that the best of who they are can come forward. So it becomes something that is realizable in terms of the good that is inside of them. Because we all got some a whole lot of evil inside of us. Yeah. So that we got a civil war going on in the battlefield of our own souls all the time. Yeah. 
That's right. But the uh, but, but you're absolutely right to uh, what I was talking about that historic Howard. You know, the good God historic Hampton, too, because these are two institutional pillars of the very tradition that I'm talking about. And all peoples of all colors, all genders, all sexual orientations, all national identities have access to this love of wisdom, this love of neighbor and wrestling with the contradictions in terms of, of, of the blues and wrestling with catastrophe. But in the United States, it's been black folk who have been chronically hated for 400 years and yet dish out such love warriors. You see the Frederick Douglasses and Ida B. Wells Barnetts and the Martin Kings and the John Coltrane's and the Luther Vandrosses and the Aretha Franklin's, these are love warriors. They could have responded with a hate in the face of hate, they refused to do it. Been terrorized for 400 years, didn't want to terrorize others. What you want, Frederick Douglass? I want freedom for everybody. I don't want to terrorize others. We're not gonna create a black version of the Ku Klux Klan just because they're terrorizing us. You see, that's, that's, that's the best of not just black people, the best of not just America. It's the best of the human spirit. That's right. What you saw back in slavery. I mean, we've seen that since slavery with the soul and the spirit Absolutely. of black folk, you know, really looking at the best of humanity and Absolutely. moving forward in spite of the pain. That's precisely it. That's precisely it. And also recognizing, and even when we looked at white supremacists and recognize how sick and pathological that their souls were, that we could still separate their deeds from their full-fledged humanity. Some of us yeah. learned that in vacation Bible school, where you hate the sin and still try to love the sinner. I know I learned it in vacation. You, 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 you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, I, know, I know what you're talking about. You That's know, why I learned it too. Oh, yes. What, what's interesting at Google, what we're seeing is you know, like black folks are standing in pain and not just current pain, like current pain has triggered past pain and standing in hurt. And then we have this incredible show and spirit of allyship where we have, you know, across all races, um, just people standing in solidarity saying, what can I do? How can I lean in? And there it closes that dissonance between those standing in pain and those leaning in. And it feels like that's what you're talking about here. How do we bring the best of humanity forward to really get to rec reconciliation and the hope that we talked about. You, you say it so eloquently though, my sister, because it's precisely <clears throat> the love of wisdom and love of neighbor and the willingness to connect the humility with the tenacity to stay in movement, to be a real force for good in the language of Coltrane. That's been the leaven in the American democratic loaf. America would have gone fascist a long time ago if there had not been those to join that leaven, to push the, the fragile democracy in the right direction. And it's one that has always welcomed others. There's always been vanilla brothers and sisters who have played a very important role in yeah. the struggle against white supremacy. That's right. You go from Miles Horton and Ann Braden and Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel and Muriel Rukeyser. Uh, you did. You got. It's been international. You got Gandhi and Ambedkar in India that played fundamental roles in terms of showing their solidarity with the struggles of of of, of, of black people, both in the uh, in the forties all the way up to the uh, uh, the present time. That legacy 
of folk from India, the legacy of folk from from Asia, the Grace Boggs and others, oh, indigenous yeah. peoples and others, and Chicanos, Cesar Chavez, and there's always been that solidarity. Now I'm a little bit leery of the language of allies, though, my son. You tell me mm -hmm. what you think about that. And the reason is, is because I just want people to be on the love train because they choose to be persons of integrity, honesty, decency, and want to serve others. I love that. The good of man. Absolutely. You see, so if I'm I'm straight, I'm going to show up for my gay brothers and lesbian sisters and precious trans because I want to be a decent person. That's right. I and because be I extend person. my love. It, it, the love, the solidarity, and love right. means care. Love means concern. Love means protect, respect, but also correct. So there's a critical element to love. So there ain't no love without correcting folk because there ain't no love without vulnerability and invincibility. That's right. And truth in action is love because love is a verb, just like that's, hope absolutely. is a verb. That's mm -hmm. precisely, precisely. But again, you know, love is one thing and love is many things. That's right. That is you know, so that, true. Bob Marley say one love. Yeah, that's for everybody. We can even go down to the dogs and the cats and get with century creatures because we know a lot of us can't make it without dogs and cats loving us too. So the love goes all the way down. But there's also many things. It takes many different forms and especially relative to different contexts. You see, a, a, a love in, in, in the context of a family uh, takes uh, certain kinds of forms, but it's different than the workplace, but the similarities in the workplace. Because the workplace, you, you're trying to also achieve a certain kind of goal. You're trying to do well as well as do good. So you have to make sure your business stays in it stays competitive and so forth. But if you got a business that's not concerned about justice, you end up with greed run amok. You end up with corruption run amok. You got to have some kinds of regulations in place that have to do with keeping track with the humanity that's of right. both employers, employees and, and consumers and so forth. And yet at the same time, recognize that you have some ends and aims of a business that's very, very different than a family, very, very different than a mosque, a temple, a church, a synagogue. Very right. different than, um, you know, a basketball team. That's you know, right. Le LeBron's got deep love for his brothers on the court, but if they don't meet the standards, he got something to say. That's right. But it's the, it's the, but it's the boundary conditions yes. that we put there. One of the ways we do that at Google, our values are actually built on respect. So we talk about respect for the user, respect for the opportunity, and respect for the individual. And that's where we can actually have courageous conversations. Polarities can exist, but we can extend that love of humanity that you're talking about because it's on that platform of respect and we're grounded there from a value standpoint. No, it's, it, it's, it's very real. And it's important too that love is not reduced to some kind of mamby-pamby uh, sentimentality mm -hmm. um, that has to do with a specious emotion that remains on the surface rather than something concrete that's executed on the ground. Yeah. The greatest literary artist of the last 200 years was Anton Chekhov. Yes. And Anton Chekhov was a kind of uh, uh, Russian blues man. In some ways, he was even deeper into blues, but that's a larger, larger election. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but he used to say as a medical doctor, he used to say there's more love in electricity and steam than in narrow do-gooders. Yes, and it gets to that feeling that you were talking about because it's how how are we experiencing it? But I think you dropped something really important about how we use it so that it doesn't become trite or meaningless. And 
I don't know about you, but for me, I hear so many terms being bandied about today. And one, as we talk about racial justice, we talk about social justice and people are using those terms interchangeably. But I'd love for you to talk about like, how should we characterize racial justice versus social justice? Well, first, just looking at the term justice itself, you know, the great Reinhold Niebuhr used to say any justice that's only justice soon degenerates into something less than justice. Because because the thing about it, I mean, you and I, in any context in America, and we deal with different forms of racism, you got sexism coming at you and so forth. And yes, we want to be treated justly. Yes, we want to be treated fairly. But we also want respect. We don't want to just be tolerated. That we've got a humanity here that's in place that has been denied so chronically for 400 years. So justice cannot simply be a matter of distribution of resources. Yes, we must have resources. I'm for the abolition of poverty everywhere. That kind of abolition, that's my kind of abolitionism. You know? But at the same time, the poor, just like the well-to-do, they have a humanity that's not reducible to their poverty. Just like the rich have a humanity that's not reducible to their material toys. That's right. That's it. That's exactly right. So you got to stay in contact with that humanity so that what is deeper than justice is precisely this love, precisely this willingness to push to the edge of life's abyss and be open enough to make connection with people's deeper humanity. And that humanity cuts deeper than race, gender, class, nation, and so forth. I agree. We, you know, I study with John Powell a lot, who leads mm. the Institute of Belonging and Othering at Berkeley, and yes, his research yes. is on belonging. And one of the things that John talks about is that belonging is really about that primal fear that we all have of not being connected. To someone. So what he says is that we want to belong, but we do that by associating with people who are of least risk. But least risk is defined as who's just like us or most like us. And then everyone else is really othered. But if you truly belong, we're extending our circle of who can come into that. And then that's kind of how we eradicate these in-groups and these out-groups. But it goes into what you're saying about keeping love at the center. No, I, I think we have to simply uh, acknowledge that uh, the most terrifying question we could ever raise is what does it really mean to be human? Yes. You know what I mean? What does yes. it really mean to be a featherless, two-legged, linguistically conscious creature born between urine and feces, whose body will one day be the culinary delight of terrestrial worms? So that human condition has its own fears and insecurities and anxieties built into it. White supremacy, male supremacy, imperial supremacy, all of these are fake ways of trying to deal with the fears and anxieties and insecurities in the face of knowing our bodies will be extinguished very soon. Yes. Very soon. And yeah. so it takes institutional and structural forms Structural racism, structural sexism, and so forth, structural homophobia, and what have you, institutional forms, but it's also existential. It's also spiritual. And if you're going to be a spiritual coward, you're going to fall prey to your fears and generate 
energy that is predicated on putting others down in order to lift you up before the worms get you. Because the worms exactly don't let you right. know how equal you are. That's right. That's right. And then it becomes you no. Know, after you go taste the worm, taste the same to the worm. That's right. And it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because you're going to get back what you're putting out. You just don't realize it because all these defense mechanisms are being erected to really make you feel better about yourself than you really do based on those fears that we're talking about. That's exactly right. And it happens to nations. I mean, you look at the U.S. Constitution, there's no reference to the institution of slavery. You end up fighting a civil war over an institution of slavery not invoked in your constitution because chickens come home to roost. That's right. Sooner That's or later, you're going to reap what you sow. You, you can only go for so long in living a lie. You see, and if, you, if in your personal life you're addicted to lies, sooner or later, that mendacity is going to generate a backlash. And if so this nation, you tied the lies and mendacity, you're going to get a backlash and it's going to be ugly. It's true. Well, and it goes back to where we started with hope because we're grappling with that very history that the systemic and structural barriers that exist, that racism that we're facing. So where do we go? So why is it important to come to terms with our past? so we can move forward in our future. Absolutely. And I think part of it, and this is where the blues comes in, especially in relation to the United States, that you can't reduce hope to narrow optimism. You see, and pessimism is the flip side of optimism, just like cynicism is the flip side of sentimentality. Whereas if you're a prisoner of hope the way you and I are, then you're never going to fall prey to naive optimism. You're never going to fall prey to paralyzing pessimism. You're never going to fall prey to sentimentality, but you're never going to fall prey to cynicism. That's you're going to be in that zone where you're in motion against the grain and against the odds. And, and we've, we've seen this. I mean, there's a sense in which I think, especially at uh, any corporate context, Google or what have you, that uh, in trying to stay in contact with the humanity of people, no matter what color and gender and sexual orientation and so forth, uh, the arts ought to play a very important role, especially music. I think when you look, actually look at the history of American music or the history of American literature, you'll see they have told the kind of truths that we're talking about in ways that those who are in power are highly fearful of. Melville on the Pequod. He's got Ishmael on the Pequod. That's a reference to indigenous peoples. It's their land that America is built on. It's dispossession of their peoples that America is predicated on. Then he's got a multicultural group on the ship. And Ahab, obsessed with whiteness, obsessed with white supremacy in terms of the whiteness of the whale, which must always have priority no matter what. And he's going to be so obsessed with it that he's going to allow the whole project, the democratic project, the Pequod itself, to go under, holding on the whiteness. And uh, it ends with Ishmael on a, on a, 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 really on a coffin, but it serves as a kind of a, a small, small, piece of wood out there in the ocean all by himself. This is Melville, 31 years old, white brother from New York City telling that kind of true Tony Morrison reflects on it and playing in mm -hmm. the park. Uh, um, you see it in, in William Faulkner. He's on the vanilla side of town. What does Jason say to the son? 
was is the saddest word in the English language because we can't get over this path. Keep That's right. Mistreating folk. Keep killing these young folk. One generation after another. Just going on and on and on. Can't deal with poverty. You see the poor folk, no matter what color, still in place and think that somehow you're going to just make your way through. Well, what happens to his son, Jason? Quentin goes to the bridge at Harvard. Dad was wrong. Was is not the saddest word. Again, is when that was just keeps repeating itself, and I can't take it. He jumps off the bridge, suicidal. Okay. Faulkner can't see a way out. Now, if he had talked, if he had read some James Baldwin or Tony Morrison, or if he had listened to some uh, Duke Ellington or Ella Fitzgerald, he would have said, "Hmm, how you pe how you people been dealing with a no this situation where it looks there's no way out?" Like a symphony. Right. Like it, it's like a symphony. And I think when you talk about music and how it influences and all those different parts, it seems like honesty and courage is really key, though. I mean, where is honesty and courage in this conversation? How's it going to move us forward? No, it's true. I mean, me and Brother Robbie George just wrote a piece on that, on honesty and courage. And he's my right wing brother. He's I think he's wrong on a whole lot of issues. I still have a deep love for him. I can revel in his humanity, even in point now, where I think he's wrong. But when you have an honesty and a courage, you recognize, going back again to the, the, the Black National Anthem, you're lifting every voice. You're fighting for everybody's right to move from being an echo, extension of an echo chamber, to being a voice. Because the Johnson brothers didn't say lift every echo. No, no, James Weldon and Rosamond Johnson said lift every voice. Just like you can't be a blues woman or a jazz man unless you find your voice. Quit imitating, quit emulating. That's what Monk told Coltrane. Quit emulating Johnny Hodges, brother. Find your voice. Coming out of Hamlet, coming out of High Point. I know you got that High Point. Coming out of High Point with you Coltrane. And I got Coltrane it. Coltrane together. Ooh, that's a deep twosome right there. That's a deep twosome right there. But harmony had to find his voice. We got to have that harmony. I mean, we all have to get to the key of C to get to balance and to get to harmony. But even when it's F sharp or B flat, even when you got dissonance, yes. that, that's, 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 that's challenging the harmony. You remember what Duke Ellington said about how black people have made dissonance a way of life. See, we live in the C minor. Yes. See, that, that's Beethoven's film. Live in the C minor. That's where the grimness is. That's where the incongruity is. But come with us to this funky zone, and we're going to show you how deodorized your life has been. We're going to show you how superficial it's been. You, you wanted harmonies without wrestling with the dissonance. You wanted love, but you didn't want any pain. Can't have no love without pain. It's impossible. Can't have no joy without pain. Frankie Beverly's right. So that somehow you got to be mature enough to be in the midst of the tension as you're in motion with a love-motivated hope that connects you in solidarity with others to bring out the best of the species. You got the economic catastrophe, too many poor people, working people not having enough power and so forth. Then you got deep white supremacy. White supremacy is always the face of the worst of America just as the fight against it and other injustices, the injustices constitute the best of America. America always has the best and the worst, just like there's best and worst inside of us. Two sides of the, two sides of the coin. That's right, just, just as soon as you got human beings, you're gonna have the best and the worst, you're gonna have disaster and wonders all at the same time. 
Oh, yes. What can you talk about just your early influences and like what influenced you? What put you on that quest, that journey to learn more? And then how would you use that to get to love? Well, I tell you, just like your beloved daughter, her magnificent Ph.D. from Purdue te teacher now at John Hopkins, that she has been the recipient of a love beyond description. Yes. Coming from mama and daddy and grandparents and aunts and uncles. And that's me. That's me. So that, uh, I mean, the highest honor I'll ever have in my whole life is being the second son of Irene and Clifton West. It just doesn't get better than that. Being the son, being the brother of my, my brother Cliff and the brother Cynthia Sheriff just doesn't get better. So I can't take any responsibility of that whatsoever. That's just sheer grace in my Christian language, some folks say luck or serendipity, whatever language they want to use, I'm a recipient of it. So I then have to be open enough to allow what has gone into the shaping of me to be made available to the world. To yeah. Back to Vacation Bible School, he used to say, if the kingdom of God is within you, everywhere you go, you ought to leave a little heaven behind. What kind of heaven behind are you leaving? It could be a Socratic heaven. Here's some unsettling questions, the status quo. It could be a prophetic heaven. Here's certain kind of challenges of justice. It could be a personal heaven. Here's the tenderness. Listen to the Hutchison sisters of the emotions. They'll give you some tenderness. Mm -hmm. uh, David Ruffin's delicate voice leading the temptation. Even in his personal life, problems, listen to his voice. That delicacy, that sensitivity, that's a heaven. Yes. See? Which requires that listening. That's what I'm saying. It requires so and listening first to yourself. Are you slowing down to listen to yourself? Can you hear your own thoughts running through to get connected the way that you're talking about? And see, your stress on receptivity really is, um, is so crucial. It's what the great Ella Baker told Martin Luther King Jr., he said, you know, Martin, you're so busy being a charismatic, messianic leader, people calling you Moses, but you really haven't fully cultivated the capacity of receptivity of learning how to listen. So you got to have voices, women's voices, poor people's voices, voices across the board from all around the world. You got to learn how to listen to those voices and then allow those voices to be part of a collective leadership. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement has learned a lot from Ella Baker in that sense, because you notice you don't have one charismatic leader. You got That's three right. sisters That's exactly right. with, the, with the title and the hashtag and they doing, that was a beautiful thing. But each place has decentered leadership in that way because there's a difference between a jazz band and a military band. You see, Count Basie might call it Count Basie and the Barons of Rhythm, Count Basie's band, but everybody know if Lester Young wants to take it over one night, he's going to pick up his horn and take it over, and Basie's going to let him do that. Duke's going to do the same thing. Mary Lou Williams going to do the same thing. Monk's going to do the same thing. Miles himself. How come Cold Train is blowing 21 minutes and you blowing four minutes and it's your band? Take him that long to say what he got to say. I said in four minutes, he said in 18, it's my band, but everybody got a voice. That's, That's Miles. That's lift every voice again. But so that your, your point about listening, receiving, so that the giving that you do do is informed by 
the quality of what you have received, what you have been able to listen to and, and incorporate, absorbed, and then critically filter it in such a way that in dialogue, in conversation, in a polyphonic encounter with voices inside of you and listening to voices who are here. And this is why history is so important, the voices of the dead. That's right. Crucial. You see, my, 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 my grandmama's voice is inside of me every day and she's been gone for decades. But you made space for it. So you made space That's right. for what you prioritize, what you see as important. So you didn't crowd out that voice and that's what i hear you saying and we say at google is that representation matters who shows up at the table matters so we who's at the table who's not at the table where do we need to bring other voices in what are we missing so it's not about what fits it's about what's additive and more of that is what i hear you talking absolutely it's what you said on tv the other day that was so powerful about how important the welcoming is. You know, James Baldwin was writing a novel when he died called The Welcoming Table. You see, so that people can invite you to the table. Okay, that's fine. Find out and see how the table was made and what form it has and everything. Check and see if the food's all right. But it's the spirit of the process of the welcoming so that the best inside of you can be lifted up even as you know the folk at the table they still got some important things to say of course it's lift every voice it's not just lift the voice of the newcomers it's lift right. the voice of everybody and they're making room and space for you because when you're welcome to that table you know it because you can experience it you feel it it's musical when people open up their spirits to you and you respond absolutely Absolutely. No, indeed. Indeed. I have enjoyed our time together. Before we close, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Ooh, but no, we got more time. We got more time, don't we? Good God. I don't think we've been going long enough. We go by the spirit. We forget about this calendar time. This is not chrono. <laughs> this is Kairos. This is Kairos. I, I did want to say this, though, that... Uh, I think anytime you're talking about any form of evil, especially the vicious legacy of white supremacy, let's say, as we have in this country in the last few months, that we should never forget the moral and spiritual dimension of this thing that have to do with the with kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. Because what we learn from the best of folk who have been mistreated, subjugated, and so forth, is that they, at their best, come forward and kenosis means to empty yourself. Kenosis means to give of yourself, to donate yourself, so that the gifts that you have are not gifts you have in order to be a spectacle, in order to be project an image, but it is to provide gifts to others so that they themselves can be affirmed. You know, Bootsy Collins and I just worked on a song just a few months ago, we put out called Stars. Stars have no names, they just shine. They just shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Whatever <laughs> gifts you have, try to somehow ensure that you are emptying yourself such that others can be empowered. You're pouring something out of you so that others can be enhanced and you are receiving folk who are also themselves pouring things to you. It becomes reciprocal. 
Mm-hmm. The workplace. You come to Google and you meet some of these brilliant folk. You say, "Good God Almighty, I hadn't looked at it that way." I appreciate you pouring yourself out in that way. Now I got some porn for you. Oh, really? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm from Compton. I'm from South 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 Side Chicago. I got some porn for you. Look at this equation this way, and look at life this way, and let me take you home and, and allow you to wrestle with some Donny Hathaway and some Gladys Knight, and some Kendrick Lamar, and maybe a little Erica Erica Badu too. Namely, all of this is connected. The scientific, the political, the existential, the spiritual, but back to the arts, back to music. Mm -hmm. Now these days, things are so polarized and gangsterized, a lot of people don't even want to talk to each other. Support Trump. I can't understand why you could do that. You, You must be less than human. No, no, you're just wrong. Let me show you where you're wrong. That's right. It, well, in cancel right. culture, like that goes to this cancel culture yeah. that we're caught up in yeah, see, that's, today that's, that's as well. The thing. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. I mean, even myself, you know, I fight for Brother, Brother Rush Limbo's right to be so thoroughly wrong and mean-spirited. You have to defend rights and liberties of people. When you say lift every voice, it's not just lifting the voices of the people you agree with. But you engage in the argument. You engage in, especially in public life and public conversation, in serious exchange as to why you're doing what you're doing. You're exchanging reasons in that way, but you still stand in contact with their humanity. Why? Because people can change. That's you know, right. Jay grew up a dead up white supremacist and supremacist in Jim Crow, Texas, and ended up at the presidential level a major force for good when it came to racial justice. Now, Vietnam's another issue. We won't get into that right now. But when it came to civil rights and voting rights and housing rights, major force for good. Who would have thought LBJ, growing up as a white supremacist, would have changed like that? Because he's a human being. Human beings can change. Human beings can undergo transformation. And that's true for all of us. That's true for all of us. So stay strong at Google again, and they so blessed to have you, Sister Melanie Parker. I'm telling you. Thank you, Brother West. Brother West, one last question. How do you fill your cup when your cup is emptied out and you haven't quite gotten poured back into yet? How do, how do you fill it? What do you do? You know, I've been so blessed that I, I haven't, I, I never experienced that kind of emptiness. I've wrestled with not having enough in my cup. Mm. But uh, shoot, I've had so much overwhelming love. I couldn't get to the crack house to save my life. <laughs> I just, I tried to make my way to nihilism and cynicism and Thrasymachus and the Grand Inquisitor of Dostoevsky. I can't. It's inside of me, but I, 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 I've got so much countervailing forces and memories that I can't do it. Life well led. Life you know well led. I'm not going to slap well my mom upside of her face. I'm not going to violate my grandmama from the grave. I'm not going to mm-hmm. have my father look on down on me and say, Corn, your gangster proclivities are overcoming. No. You remember that wonderful line in Sly Stone? He's overcoming by overloving. That's Larry That's Graham. powerful. Ain't that something? That is powerful. Uh, That's a perfect and, example. And if people don't, not at the whole planet, has the blues. Now that the whole nation has the blues, if they don't learn something from the blues people at our best, we're going to lose the planet. We're going to lose democracy. We're going to lose everything because they looking at us like, oh, you little naive love warriors talking about loving everybody, fighting for justice, concerned about 
uh, the quality of people's lives against racism and sexism. You better go on and just make it and be obsessed with the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not get caught. Don't you know it's survival of the slickest? Don't you know that's the way of the world? We know the way of the world. You don't need to remind us of that. We decide to go against that. We decide to go against the grain. And we're going to be faithful unto death with style and a smile. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Stay strong now. I'm Melanie Parker. Thank you for joining us for the search for racial equity. Let us march on till victory.